0: Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan. Would you please stand for the call to worship? Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. The peace that Christ gives is to guide us in the decisions we make. For it is to this peace that God has called us together into one body. Jesus Christ, light of the world, and all creation, forgive our separation and grant us peace With his own body he broke down the walls of separation. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed our divisions. Would you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the many blessings you bestow on us in your mercy and grace. Lord, we ask that our hearts be focused on you this day and that any distractions that this past week has brought us, any moments of frustration or sadness, be lifted up to you, the one who hears all our prayers. We ask that you be with us in this time of worship, that we may be filled with your Holy Spirit, and that everything we do may bring honor and glory to you. Please bless us and open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. In your Son's most precious name. Amen.
1: Great to see you as we gather for worship today. I want to encourage you to take a few moments, share what a word of greeting with others who are here today. Please note that tonight, Coinonia meets at 5 o'clock uh, in Wesley Chapel instead of the regular 7 o'clock time. Uh, also, I mentioned last week that we were experimenting with a sermon discussion thread on the webpage, and we've been tweaking that a little bit this week. I think that should be operational. It might be operational today uh, or perhaps tomorrow, but we encourage you to, uh, to join in in that discussion as we just think more about uh, what it means for us to be a church and as we think about the things that we experience and talk about here on Sundays and to just implant that into our minds and hearts. Next Sunday morning, we again gather for worship at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11. And this will be the last of the sermons about uh, the vision statement, the, the bullet points. And uh, we'll be talking about a church that forgives like Christ next week. I'm also going to be hosting a membership class at the end of February. And if you're interested in being part of that, of joining the church, or knowing more about membership, I'd love to have you be a part of the class. Just let me know, and we will let you know the arrangements as those become uh, more concrete. There are always uh, issues for us to pray about, people to remember, situations, circumstances locally around the world. I do want to mention uh, that Elizabeth Simons uh, died on Friday. Uh, she and her husband, Eldon, were pastors in the Western New York District for a number of years. And the arrangements for her will be uh, visitation tomorrow, 2 to 4 and 7 to 9 at Copeland Williams Senior Home in Fillmore. And the service will be here uh, Tuesday morning, 11 o'clock, here in the church for Elizabeth Simons. And so we want to remember this family in our prayers as well today. the idea of offering to God what is everything that is a part of us. We uh, want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession as we acknowledge our need of God and ask for His grace. Let's pray together. prayer printed in your bulletin. Merciful God, in Your gracious presence we confess our sin and the sin of the world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation, even disciple against disciple. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy upon us, heal and forgive us, set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ.
0: Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites." This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward. Dear Lord, thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, and thank you for providing for our every need, no matter how great or small. Please accept this offering, and may it be used to glorify you and further your work on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We have the opportunity to offer our prayers to God and as we, uh, as we think about what God is calling us to be, as we think about our lives and what we want to give to him, ourselves, everything about us, and knowing that God hears us when we pray, we join together to pray as one. If you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. You bless our lives with so much. We want to take just a moment of a personal reflection of silence to offer to you our praise and our adoration and our worship for who you are and for all that you have done. Father, you are worthy of all of our praise and more. We have to admit that we are are really not worthy to come into your presence. We know the struggles that we all have. Going our own way instead of yours hurting each other, making self-centered decisions. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers and speak to us words of forgiveness. We pray not only for ourselves, Lord, but for all people who are connected to us and others who are going through some difficult things right now. We think of people who are grieving, people who are hurting in a variety of ways, people who who are dealing with relationships that are, are broken, people who are struggling with the difficulties of life. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers and speak to us words of healing and grace. Father, we pray for our world, a world of pain, a world in which people, human beings, are sold like objects, a world in which violence rears its head far too often a world of famine and disease and drought. Lord, we pray for our world. Hear our prayers and speak to us words of peace and assurance that you are at work in our world. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being at work in situations that we are aware of and those that we are not. Thank you for your grace and power doing more than we could dream or imagine. We offer our prayers confidently because we offer them in the name and power and strength and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, the crucified one, the risen one, the returning one. And the one who teaches us the motto for prayer, that together we now pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
0: Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please be seated. A couple of months ago, I came across an article on the CNN webpage that uh, was written by a gentleman named Alan Miller. I don't know much about him. I tried to do a little research on him, wasn't able to find out too much other than he is a founder of a... uh, an online forum that is uh, intended to free expression of ideas. And it, I didn't get any sense from him that uh, he has any connection to mainstream evangelical church or I don't know if he's even a Christian or not. It's hard to tell. But his article was titled, I'm spiritual but not religious is a cop-out. And it's a fascinating article. As he talked about, the, the, what he called the me generation. And the idea that, he said what he discovers is that people are, have not stopped believing in God. They just don't want to connect with any kind of religious institution, including the church. And, and, the, and he says it's a cop-out because it's really just saying, all I want is what I want. Everything's about me. And, and what I believe, and, and I can be not just as spiritual, but I can actually be more spiritual on my own than I might be in the context of an organization that would hold me accountable and put rules and regulations and restrictions on me. And he says this, this individualistic mindset is a cop-out. Because all it's really saying is, I just want what I want. I don't want anybody telling me anything other than what I want. And he says, what it ends up being is you have people who see spirituality as being nice, feeling good, getting what I want. But there's no sense of transformation in what it means to be spiritual. Now, you know we. I think we get the the struggle that peop, some people have with organized religion, because people, you know, the, the church, we take the, the church in general, often doesn't hold up to what we wish it would hold up to. It often falls short. In the church, and the people of the church, disappoint us and discourage us and hurt us. and And every one of us probably has stories of when that's happened, either to us or to other people. We, we understand why people might want to shy away from the connection of the church. But quite frankly, what does that have to do with anything? I, I was reminded as I read that of something that uh, the great saint of the third century, Cyprian of Carthage, said. He said this, he cannot have God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. Let me say that again. He cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Now, I suspect as you're kind of processing that, there's a little bit of in your mind going, yeah, but, right? Because in our minds and in our thinking, particularly in our American Western thinking, we're all about independence, we're all about the power of the individual. And there's good in that. I mean, we have been blessed with an amazing nation because we took steps of independence 200 and some years ago. But that, those steps of independence where we said, we're not going to let England tell us what to do anymore and we're going to break those bonds, has created within us a spirit in which we value independence above almost everything else. And while there is power in that, and while there is good in that, when it comes to our faith, we need to be careful. Now, that's not saying we don't like the church. I mean, you're here, right? I don't know that anyone's here because someone has, you know, your arm twisted behind your back. You might feel obligation, but at least you're here. Now, we come. You probably do something in the church. There's not a sense of animosity about the church in us. But is there a sense of really understanding our faith in the context of the church? Are we really committed to that and devoted to that? Do we understand what Cyprian is telling us that if we want to have a relationship with God the Father, we have to have a relationship, a strong relationship, like a child to its mother, with the church? It's that whole mindset that they caused us as we were putting together this, our vision statement and thinking and praying about if, if we are the church that God has called us to be, if, we would, if the Spirit would just overwhelm us in, in a way that we couldn't quite describe and we became the epitome of the church, what would that look like? What, what would that look like for us? As we prayed and thought about that, we put these bullets on the back of this, of this bookmark. And one of those bullets says, empowered by God's spirit, we will affirm our strong dependence on each other. We will affirm our strong dependence on each other. And hear me, that, when we make that statement, we're not saying that's one of the steps that gets us to be what God wants us to be. When that happens, that's an indicator we are what God wants us to be. Because God's plan for the church is that we would be dependent on each other, that we would be connected to each other, that we would have life together. That's God's plan for the church. It's what we see in the scriptures. It's the image we find here in Acts chapter 2. As the, of the church right after Pentecost, coming together, sharing life, connected to each other, dependent on each other, this is the church. That doesn't mean the church is perfect. You know, sometimes I, I've heard through the years people would say things like, we, we just want to be a New Testament church. I say, well, okay, which New Testament church do you want to be? Do you want to be Corinth? You know, they're dealing with a whole lot of immorality. They're desecrating the Lord's Supper. Do you want to be the church in Galatia? Legalistic? Do you want to be even the church in Acts? I mean, this, this is pretty idyllic picture here in chapter 2. You get to chapter 5 and greed has entered the church. People are falling dead from the wrath of God. You get chapter 6 and you've got this prejudice and racism going on in the church. You get chapter 15, and the great saints, Paul and Barnabas, have such a disagreement, they, don't, they refuse to work together anymore. They go their separate ways. Do you, but that doesn't mean the church isn't central to the New Testament understanding of, of faith. It is central to the New Testament understanding of faith. What it does tell us, though, is that somehow we got to figure out how to do that in spite of not being perfect. Because we're not perfect. If, if we went around the room to each one of us and said, all right, this week, tell us one thing that you have done that would indicate that as a part of the church, we're not perfect. We could probably all come up with something, right? I suspect. We're not going to do that. Don't, don't get panicked. We're not going to do that. We all know that. We understand that. And in a sense, it is because of our struggle to be perfect. It's because of our struggle with imperfections and frailty and our humanness. As we talked last week, our brokenness. It, it in, in a sense, it's because of that, that we need each other that much more. That we are that much more dependent on each other. Because I can't do it by myself. I'm broken. And you can't do it by yourself. You're broken. We need each other. And there'll be times when you need me more than I need you. And there'll be other times where I need you more than you need me. And who knows when those times will be. But if we're connected to each other, if we're dependent on each other, if we're committed to that, affirming that, we'll just be there for each other as those times arise. It's what the church is for. And see... It is this sense of needing each other, the sense of weakness, and, and this sense of helplessness that makes us dependent on each other that allows us to become mature believers. I mean, how do we become mature? We become mature by, by facing difficult situations and making right decisions in the midst of those. And one of the biggest things we can do is to make selfless decisions. Every time we make a selfless decision for Christ, it's as though we open the door of our hearts just a little bit more for the spirit to come in. Just a little bit more to make us a little bit more like Christ. Every selfless decision leads to that. And you can't make selfless decisions just by yourself. Every decision will be what you want if it's just by yourself. Only in the context of other people can we make selfless decisions. And if you follow that formula out, it's pretty hard to become a mature believer by ourselves. We need each other. We need the challenge of each other. And we need to hang in there and stick with each other, even when we'd, want, we'd rather run. Even when we'd rather give up in despair. And we don't give up and we don't run because Jesus doesn't. Despite all of the problems with the church, and all you have to do is read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation and you see some of the problems of the church, Jesus keeps speaking to the church. Jesus is committed to the church. And Paul is committed to the church. That's why he keeps writing these letters to them. And Peter's committed to the church. And through the centuries, God's remnant has been committed to the church despite everything going on that we wish weren't going on. There is that connected dependence that is the church. Eugene Peterson says church is the primary place where we learn the language of love. This is the primary place. We learn the language of love. And what does Jesus say about what happens when we love each other? You know those last, in the upper room with his disciples, those last hours before he's arrested, he says to them, The world will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. There's something about loving each other that is attractive to people. That that makes people stop and say, I want what they have. I'm not sure what it is, but that's awesome. And when you get to the end of of this section of Acts chapter 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The result of their connectedness with each other and their dependence on each other is the church is enlarged. The kingdom grows. That's one of the things that, that I love about this tree that we had in the prayer room. As people came and prayed, wrote their names on the leaves, stuck them in the, in the holes, it became a tree that looks like a, a tree with leaves on it and prosperous. It's not going to look like that with five or six of these leaves or just a few of them. It's the whole thing together that makes it really what it's supposed to be. And for us to be the witness in the world, light in the darkness, hope in the midst of despair, love in the midst of hate and apathy, we do that together, connected to each other, dependent on each other. Sometimes I think that, well, you play the game of life. You know that game, a board game that has a little thing that spins and makes it racket, you know, click, 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 goes around. You got little cars and you put little blue and pink pegs in them for boys and girls and you drive around the board, you know, and, and you get to the end of Millionaire Acres and retirement stuff and, you know, you earn money. And But the beginning of that game, you have to make a choice. You're going to go to college or you're going to go into a profession. And as the game develops... There will be things pros and cons about both of those decisions. But you have to make that decision right off the bat and then because of that decision certain things happen to you or don't happen to you. And I think there's something in the back of our minds that we sort of view the church the same way. We come to faith in Christ and we have the sense that Jesus comes to us and says, "Okay, now you have a choice. You can get connected to the church or not." And there's pros and cons to both. I just need to know which one you want to do so then your life will take this path. No. We don't have a choice about the church, really. If Cyprian is right, we don't have a choice about the church. We don't have a choice of whether we're going to be a part of the church or not. If we're a follower of Christ, we're going to be a part of the church. It doesn't matter whether we engage in it or not. We, we really don't have a choice. We have as much of a choice and option as we have of who our birth parents are going to be. And I'm not sure we always grasp that. Yes, we make personal decisions about Christ and we are continually, daily, making personal choices about what we're going to do with Jesus and how we're going to respond to him. But always in the context of the corporate body of Christ. Always in that tension together. And it's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean we're going to give up. We're going to give up something of of what we want. But when did Jesus ever say to anyone, following him meant you get what you want? When did Jesus ever say, follow me and make whatever choices you want to make? That please you. Follow me. And then I'll lead you in the path. Whether you want to go that way or not. Because it's best for you. It's right for you. So when we look at the New Testament church. We look at this picture of of in Acts chapter 2. We find the, the people humbly committed to each other. They're learning from each other. You know, the apostles are teaching the people, but there is this sense that there is a corporate idea of learning. They're learning from each other. That's what the church does. That's our dependence on each other because not one of us has a corner on all there is to know about God and a corner on all there is to know about the truth. We keep learning and shaping each other. I appreciate it. I mean, I can tell you, many of you know this, much of, of what I have learned through the years is because some of you have come and we've talked to it and we've dialogued it, dogged about it, and, and my mind has been opened. And, and I'm a much better person because of that. I understand things so much more clearly because of that. And there's a sense of, of testing each other. You know, we, we will say the Spirit spoke to me about something. Well... It's probably not a bad idea if it's in any way controversial to run that by some other folks. You know, there, there, are people, there, there are people periodically who do something heinous in the world and then declare, God told me to do that. I guarantee you they're not part of a fellowship of believers. Because I'm pretty sure the believers would have said, I don't think God told you to do that. And we need to test each other. And it's humbling to do that, to come to someone and say, this is what I'm hearing God say to me. What do you think about that? And for them to say, that doesn't seem right to me. And then to say, okay, I I think I misunderstood. That's what we do with each other. That's our interdependence and connectedness with each other. And it keeps us from going off the rails in ways that are harmful to us and others. We share together. You know, for them, they're sharing their possessions. For them, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. We tend to think what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. I might give you a little bit of mine, but it's still mine. That's the way our mind works in this culture in which we live. And, and I understand that. And, and there's a place where that's appropriate, but at some point as the church, we think beyond just what's mine. It's ours. That's what we're trying to do as we talk about giving to the church. We give to the church, and out of that, we do all kinds of things. Ministry to children on Wednesday nights and Sunday school and a youth program, and we have lights and we have whoa. and we have sound. We have lights and sound and we have heat in the building. And we have staff who can help us through struggles that we're going through. And, and we can give to the poor. And we can give food to people who are in need. And we can help people who are going through a crisis. We can be the church. Is that, maybe I can over here. We can be the church together. And you may have noticed that we're running a bit behind in our budget. Maybe as you're thinking about this whole thing of sharing what we have, maybe God will lay on your heart about giving something more because you've been blessed. We do that in a larger scale of things as well as a, as a church. You know, we're part of a, a district in Western New York of Wesleyan churches. And a few years ago, we, well, we have this liability insurance policy that the district purchases for all the churches, and it's much cheaper to get it as a package. And a few years ago, we, the district changed carriers and we got better coverage, we saved money, always a good thing to do that. But what ended up happening out of the lump sum that we saved, about a third of the church's premium remained the same, about a third went down significantly, about a third went up some. And the churches that went down tended to be larger churches and the church's premium that went up tended to be the smallest churches. And so the district came to those of us, including our church, who were gaining from this change and said, would you be willing to give back some of what you've saved so that all of the churches who have to pay higher premiums won't have to? And they can just keep their premium the same that it's been. And every one of us said, of course. That's what we do for each other. That, that's being the church. How, how could we do anything else? And in one sense, you say, well, that's ours. And what are we doing giving that away? That's what we do. It, it's the right thing. It's what we see in the church. You know, I, I, had, to, I had to smile to myself when the choir was singing an anthem, this beautiful anthem. By. I remember years ago hearing Charles Allen, pastor in Texas, say that they were singing that song one day in church. And when he got to the line about, take my silver and my gold. He said, I looked out and I looked at a whole bunch of guys out there in the church who I've been trying to take their silver and gold for years and they wouldn't give it. And here they were singing this song and he said, you know, at some point we got to live what we sing. And it's true. We share. And we connect with each other that way. We're dependent on each other because we have needs and we support each other and we care for each other. That's what we do in the church and that implies that we have needs that we are weak as so we talked about last week about being broken here's the reality we are we're needy people we're weak i love the end of second timothy paul writes to his son in the faith and from verse 9 on he is basically saying i'm lonely i'm broken i'm hurting people have deserted me i'm despairing I need you to come. I need you to bring my books. I need you to bring my cloak. I need you to bring some friends. I I need you. And quite honestly, I think it's one of the most profound things that Paul writes, that brutal honesty about who he is and what he needs and how Timothy, his son in the faith, comes and helps him. That's what the church does. Where do we find this idea of why this is so important and why God designed the church to be this way? I think that the spirit of dependence and connectedness that we're talking about as a church is rooted in the spirit of the Trinity. The Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit is not a static relationship. It is a dynamic relationship. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures as there is ebb and flow to how they relate to each other. And there is an interconnectedness and an interdependence in the Godhead. And I don't claim to understand everything there is to know about the Trinity. Far from it. I don't know of any human being who can fully wrap their mind around that amazing doctrine. But we do know enough and we see the scriptures and we hear Jesus praying on those last hours before he goes to the cross. Father, what is mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And send the Spirit into my disciples that what I've taught them will continue. That they would know me and they would know you through the Spirit. And what we see is In the Godhead is what God is asking of us as the church. To take risks, to be vulnerable, to acknowledge our need. To affirm that we are dependent on each other. And the only way to be the people, the mature followers of Christ that he created us to be, is by being connected to each other, helping each other, loving each other, caring for each other, being the church to each other. I've never really been a fan of, of running. Now, if I have a ball in my hand, I don't mind running. Playing basketball, baseball, football, I don't mind running if, as a part of a, of a game. I've never quite been able to understand people who just want to run to run. I do admire them. I admire them great. I admire people who can run a a sprint in a speed that I can't really fathom. I admire people who can run long distance. I mean, they tell me there are people who can run solid without stopping for 15, 20 minutes. It just (laughs) blows my mind. It's beyond me. You know, you know, people run three hours, four hours. I, I just can't fathom it. But I admire people who can do that. And I was talking with someone not too long ago about cross-country. And they 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 ran cross-country in high school and college. and And we got into a conversation about that. And they told me some things I had never realized before. What I always thought that the point of cross-country like any race, is to break the tape. That's the whole point. Where You're in the race, you run as fast as you can, trying to be the person who breaks the tape. And he said, well, if all you care about is yourself, yeah, that's what you're going for. But cross-country is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. He said, so the, the best coaches not only encourage and do what they can to, to help runners, slower runners, run faster, but they also talk to the fastest runners about dialing it back a little bit. Because if they run just a little bit slower, the slower runners can run closer to them. And, and they sort of drag the slower ones into a faster pace without them really even realizing it. And you run in, a, in more of a pack as opposed to just running by yourself. And he said when his brother was in high school, their cross-country team won a state championship. And the the fastest runner on their team didn't get first, second, third, or fourth. But their team placed fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh. And you get one point for being first and two points for being second and three points for being third. And it's like golf, low score wins. And so they had the lowest score. Because all of their runners were bunched up in that median range, and the guy who finished first, his next teammates finished 18th and 29th and 45th. And he said, "The joy of winning is so much sweeter when you win as a team." And I'm just here today to tell you that being a Christian is a team sport. It's a team sport. And we need to understand that and to grasp that and to start affirming that and living that. And we're going to have to work at fleshing that out and what that means for us. But it starts with a mindset. It starts with an attitude that we believe that's true. Because if we want to be the church that God created us to be, if we want to be the people God created us to be, it's about the church. As Cyprian says, he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. I'd like for us just to take a moment to ponder What God may be saying to us about our attitude, our perspective, decisions we're making about affirming our dependence on each other. Father forgive us for thinking that we don't need each other. Forgive us for overestimating our spiritual strength. And for overestimating our ability to become mature in Christ all by ourselves. Change our minds, our attitudes, our spirits, our actions. That we might be the church you have called us to be created us to be. And we ask this through Christ, the Lord of the church. Amen. receive the benediction. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for all people. And may he fill your hearts with his strength that you will be holy and blameless in the presence of God our Father. when the Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Amen.